Hey everybody, uh, welcome to a very special post-kickoff episode of Peach Pit. And here we're going to talk about strategies, robot designs, and everything in between. Right? Now, if you've seen our show last season, you're probably going to notice a bit of a change, right? One, we've lost a couple of members, just for this episode, hopefully, and we'll, and we'll get them back later in the season. But we also have a new setup, and this setup is actually thanks to uh, FRC 1746 for hosting us. Uh, Anupam and Kellen are the mentors. I'm not really sure they had much of an option, but you know, we are very grateful. Um, but before we get started, we have a bit of a disclaimer. You know, any views or opinions shared on the show are solely that of the individual con contributor. Do not reflect the views of Peach Pit, any FRC team, First, Georgia First, or any of their affiliates and sponsors. So the idea behind the show is to serve as an FRC talk show that focuses primarily on the Peachtree District. We're going to be talking about a variety of topics, as we've mentioned before, so don't be surprised if you see us drop some hot takes. Ultimately, we're just hoping to provide some entertaining and engaging discussion for the community. So my name is Anupam Goli. I'm the uh, head coach of Team Auto 1746. Uh, my name is Kellen Hill. I'm a mentor for Team 1746 Auto. My name is Sonny, and I am semi-retired from FRC. So, Infinite Recharge, presented by... Star Wars? Star Wars, presented by Disney. <laughs> How many other companies? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Boeing's on the, the page this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, initial reaction. What are your thoughts? Go. Um, it reminds me of 20, like a combination of 2006 and 2012. I, uh, so my first year in uh, FRC was 2005, so I've, I've play, seen quite a few games, but uh, just before kickoff, at least a, one friend or two had asked, and I was like, I just want a 2006 replay, that's all I want, and this is enough of, uh, enough of the in interesting bits and pieces of 2006 that I'm, I'm excited for a, a good shooting game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything in this game, especially for folks that have been in FRC for like five-ish years, right? Nothing in this game is really new, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing screams at you. I've seen, I, I can't stop commenting on the similarities to past games for um, either the game pieces having similarities, 2006, 2012, 2016, uh, strategies like uh, stealing uh, boulders out of the secret passage in uh, 2016, or uh, uh, rotations for offense and defense in 2006. There's just so many similarities to uh, pre previous games that I think there's some fun uh, content to, to, to draw off of yeah. for teams yeah. playing. And some people seem to take that as kind of like a bad thing, that like, oh, first isn't like innovating or we're not doing creative things. But I think back to those games, and they were some of the most exciting games to watch, like just, yeah. you know, seeing teams shoot and just go hard out there. Like, that's sort of the classic first game, right? Yeah, um, yeah but so I was really excited about that. Um, I saw the balancing thing, which was funky, to say the least. It reminds me of, like, a much harder version of the 2012 bridges, where you had to, like, balance the bridge, <laughs> but this time you're going to have to, like, climb onto something and balance on the fly. Yeah, that's where hanging has been a popular uh, game mechanism for a lot of FRC games. This one puts a bit of a twist, again, similar to that 2012 uh, mechanic. Um, there's some, uh, I think there's some things that are more difficult, some things that are easier. Uh, compared to 2012, where you're balancing on top of uh, teeter-totter, essentially, in this case, the pivot point is above you, uh, so the, the, the mechanism that's there is kind of acting as a, a rudder 
Uh, so you get some weight to play with there, but you're also then hanging below it. So it gives you some wiggle room to be able to balance easily with partners that might not weigh the same as you. And I also think back like, I think this may be another opportunity for teams that for the past two seasons, we've done some sort of climbing get-up mechanism. Right? Yeah. And the climbing mechanisms this year are going to kind of look similar to what we saw in 2018, right, with the... Uh, yeah. Well, they had like an, a yeah. bar to climb yeah. off of, yeah. With the bar, but what I see first doing in, in like two game cycles is giving people a chance to sort of see the mechanisms that they saw in the past and implement them in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were watching last season, if you were watching in 2018, and you were like, oh, I think we can build that, well, now you can build it for a game, right? So I think, I think that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, then we have the pinwheel. Which is not called the pinwheel. It's called it's the, the control panel. panel. Um, or the wheel of fortune. Or the lollipop. There's some, there's some other options <laughs> on the table. I just go here. with the classic color wheel. <laughs> color wheel. Got it. Got it. Um, so the control panel sits on top of the trench, which is kind of like a, kind of like a height limiter for, yeah. like for teams. It's very much like the low bar in 2016, though not as drastic. But that's gonna going under the color wheel is going to dictate a lot of teams' like initial designs. Mm -hmm. And their final, well, their final designs. Yeah, because I think if you're tallying up on the all the mechanism, you have to store five balls, you have to shoot them somehow. Um, well, you don't have to shoot them, but we'll get into that later. Uh, you have to climb, and then hopefully mm -hmm. you have something to do to color wheel. Uh, you know, packaging all of that, I think, is, I think is usually a challenge. Yeah. Which I think you experienced in 2016. Yeah, like there was this fame, infamous poll on Chief Delphi where uh, somebody was just asking, like, how many of you are going to go for the low bar? And the results were overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, like maybe 80 to 90 percent said going under the low bar. And then Karthik is quoted saying, "The polls of this, uh, the results of this poll terrify me." <laughs> so it's going having limiting limiting yourself to a height under the max height can be quite a design constraint. Well, because what that was about, was it 14 inches? Yeah. In yeah. 20, so at least you get about twice that this year, so there's not quite as drastic a packaging uh, uh, problem. But, but you have to do five times the balls. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's, it's this whole thing. Um, so any other reactions? Are you guys, are you guys, any other general so, reactions? So honest, so 2017, there was a shooting component, but like looking back at, uh, how Georgia teams uh, approached that game. I feel like this is honestly one of the first, this is, might be the first shooting game uh, where we've had to collect multiple game pieces um, and shoot them, kind of like since 2012 or 2013. The yeah. first like real ball game where you had to shoot more than one ball yeah. since 2012. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that might, 2012 is a good a game to look at, but because shooting multiple balls at the same time is not like really fresh in people's minds, it might be a bit of a curveball for yeah. Georgia teams. So I actually go back to the 2016 season and think about the teams that were shooting like successfully back then. Mm -hmm. right? um, and you didn't have very many. I think you can count them on one hand, yeah. right? 1261 uh, had a good shooter. 2415 had a great shot, but they had a catapult. Same with Walton. Mm -hmm. They had catapult designs. Now, I, I'm not... I'm not one to say that multiple catapults can't shoot five balls at once, but... I don't know. I personally don't think they're too viable for this game, but 
I imagine somebody will prove me wrong at some point. See, so. what you got to do is find a way to put five catabolts on the same robot so you can fire all of them at the same time and not worry about taking the time to shoot five balls. Or put five balls on one catapult. There you go. Okay. Kind of a shotgun approach. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I feel like so much of this game is still kind of new because in the state of Georgia, not a huge history of doing a lot of shooting. Mm -hmm. So very few teams in 2016. 2017, you pretty much only have 1746 that shot with any level of effectiveness. Um, and another thing to consider is the students that are, you know, juniors and seniors right now, they haven't seen a shooting game pretty much in their effective FRC careers, right? Yeah, yeah, since, the, yeah since they were freshmen. Yeah, yeah, so like, and as a freshman, you're not totally soaking in everything. So, you know, they're going out there and they're, and they're shooting for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Right? Yeah. So let's move on. Let's let's like get into the nitty gritty of this game a little bit. Um, so I think one of the biggest things is RPs, right? Ranking points. Um, ranking points aren't just just about ranking, but I think they also lay out kind of like a roadmap for the game. Now, are you going to go after this ranking point or this ranking? So this year there are two ranking points. One is primarily through shooting. So you. So I won't go through the details of the rules, but you, you go through shooting or loading balls into the low goal, and you go through multiple stages, and you have to do the pinwheel or the color wheel, and you get one ranking point. Yeah. I think the takeaway from that is you have to ultimately get 49 balls scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then the second way is to score more than 65 points in the end game. It was, it was 65 or more, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah greater than or yeah. equal to, yep. So greater than or equal to, which I think, I think the real sort of catalyst behind that is that if you only have two robots that can climb, those, those two robots have to be balanced, right? Or you can just have three robots all climbing. Yeah. Which I think is the fun part. In past years, games, some of which have included a ranking point for climbing, that there were all individual climbs. You didn't need to coordinate. There was some coordination for like 2018 if you had a buddy climb. Um, not sure. That happened a couple times in Georgia for uh, buddy bars. But this year you kind of get a, it's, it's a bit of a dance you have to do with your alliance partner just to make sure, all right, you lined up, we're lined up, let's go ahead and pull up and see if we're balanced. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's where like the 30 second end game is uh, typically as the season progresses, um, teams get quicker, but I feel like in this case, we're not going to see teams really like pull off a double climb with less than, in less than 20 seconds because it's going to take so much time to coordinate and get everything lined up. But at the same time, the, in my mind, if a robot can do nothing else, it sh it, climbing should be like the number one priority because if, if that's all you can do... Holy cow, we've got technical difficulties here, people. All right. So one of the uh, features of this room is that there are motion sensors, so don't panic. We haven't been, like, cut off from power. Okay. Um, yeah, so climbing, very important, right? So the, so the question was really, you know, which RPs your team focus on, but let's, let's, like, talk about the climbing thing because we're already talking about it, right? Yeah, so if you're doing a singular action, uh, so to start with, uh, shooting balls, if, if you're doing it in autonomous, is two, four, and six points, but uh, teleop is then one, two, and three, but how many of those shots do you have to make in order to make up a 25-point singular action by climbing? That's a big deal if you can do that in a single go. And again, if that's, if that's all your robot can do, you're still a significant contributor. Yeah. For the climbing RP, 
right? One thing that has like dawned on me over the past day or so is I think that there's a better chance of, t of an alliance getting a climbing RP where all three robots climb than two robots balancing, right? Because I think, I think the balancing challenge is just so difficult, right? Even if, even if you've done all the calculations, you know exactly how much you guys have, how much you guys weigh, and you line up at exactly the right spot, mm -hmm. which those are a bunch of ifs. Um, I just think you have a much better chance of three robots climbing, right? One robot gets up quickly, second robot gets up, you know, whenever they can, and then your powerhouse offensive comes in the last second, clips on, and all three are up. So that's the curious part, I think, is it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, because I think there's whole different levels than for what you're, you're expecting your alliance partners to be capable of in quals, and what you're then scouting for, for looking for potential uh, alliance partners for elims. Because again, like I was saying, if, if you can do a singular thing uh, for climbing, you're, you're looking pretty good on my scouting list for a, a potential alliance partner uh, to be able to contribute to a, a three-robot climb at the end. Because again, that's big points. Yeah. 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 So I see it more from an RP perspective, and you see it from a points perspective. Mm -hmm. But they're both perfectly valid, right? Yeah. Um, so I think like a little bit of like Trevor's betting second here, right? Yeah. Do you think there will be? So let's just take our district, right? And let's take the full season. Mm -hmm. So Gainesville to the district championship inclusive. Do you think there will be more ranking points scored by three robot climbs or balances? What? How about two robot climbs? Well, that's the balance, right? Two that's robots and balance. balance. So, oh, so, I see. So if you just get three robots up there and not balance? Not balance. So that's a ranking point. So three robots not balanced mm -hmm. or the shooting? Or no, no. Or two so robots balanced. Three robots not balanced or two robots balanced. Which one do you think will happen more often? Two robots balanced. Mm, yummy. And it'll be by a significant uh, amount. You know... I would agree with that, right? Simply because I think there's going to be one team, or like maybe a couple of teams that will like consistently have their balance game. Right? Yeah. So they may not be always partnered with one other team that can climb, but if they get that one team that can climb, mm -hmm. then they will go and balance. Well, I'll buy that. And that's a, it's going to be a big like pit scouting thing is just asking people how much their not only their robot weighs but batteries and then bumpers too, just to make sure your their weights are matching up, but. Yeah, if you can coordinate, but obviously tricky enough to do on a qual quals match mm -hmm. uh, schedule when you're playing matches as fast as we do in the district events. Yeah. So. Climbing should be good. And I think one thing you mentioned is that everybody should try to climb, right? Which mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about later, but I think climbing's pretty pretty good. And I think there's a lot of resources out there for teams to, like, if you don't really know how you're going to pull off the climb, yeah. right? but we'll get into that a little later. Like, and, like, there's been so many games now with climbing where you could look at examples from 2016, 2018 to figure out, like, a basic mechanism and then just adapt it to this year's game. Yeah. So it's the threshold for being able to pull a climb off has gotten a little bit uh, lower. Yeah. I will actually say that if you're – you know what? We'll get into this a little later because we're getting into the details of climbing. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about the – pretty much the shooting RP, right? So mm -hmm. scoring 49 balls and – doing the pinwheel thing a few times, and you get one RP there. Yeah. Now, the consensus in the community is that it's way too difficult. Like, like so much so that people on Chief Delphi are like, no, don't worry about the balls, don't worry about the pinwheels, focus on your climb. Right? What do you guys, what do you think? The, this reminds me kind of like the, of the debate uh, for 2017, getting that 40 KPA 
um, it was a monumental task, right? And only the top tier teams really achieved that. Um, so to get that actual RP, um, it would take a lot of coordination, a lot of effort, and a lot of luck. But the fact that each ball scored is worth points, I think that does give a bit of an, in, a bit of an incentive to try and like shoot balls or at the very least like dump into that logo. <laughs> That's where like 2017 autonomous was so much heavily weighted. So that one ball in Auton was, so if you could somehow shoot the 40 in Auton, you could clear out the, the ranking point all in one go. Yeah. This year you can't. You can put a tiny dent in it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't. You don't get the the ability. Obviously, there's points associated with it, so it's not like you're wasting time. But it, it's it's a monument. Well, I mean, it's a monumental feat. I, I don't know. Okay, so I'm about to I'm about to hit all that down. One, I don't know if I would call it a tiny dent, right? So you have nine balls actively on robots, which let's assume that you can make those in, which is a fair assumption, right? But nine out of the 49, you're at a little under 20%. Right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'd say 20% is a big dent, right? Well, it's a big dent, but... Uh, it's, not, it's not the 40. Yeah. So Again, so we're, we're talking about ranking, meaning we're talking about qualification match. How often are you going to get a, the set of robots together that can put in 49 balls in a single match? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, my, my biggest thing is I see the community moving way to the other side of this issue. That, like, mm -hmm. it's way too hard. Don't worry about doing the pinwheel. And I sort of try and mathematically relate it back to the 2016 game, right? The Stronghold, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Stronghold. I was thinking Rebound Rumble for some reason. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, yeah. so Stronghold. Mm -hmm. Now, in the 2016 game, you needed to score 10 balls to defeat the tower. Yeah, at championship. Well, it started at 8 and then bumped up to 10 for world champs. Right, yeah. so started at 8, bumped up to world, 10 for world champs, right? I think about this year, it's 49. And if you're doing five cycles, roughly, mm -hmm. right? That's roughly 10 cycles. Sorry, five balls out of 49, that's roughly 10 cycles. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I, so, so I see the challenge that posed back then, right? And I see the challenge this poses now, and I think teams will be a little bit more involved scoring the logo, because it's not that you have to pick up a ball, move through defenses, and then get it up on the ramp and into that tiny logo, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You literally just have like, like, dump truck and just like, you know, back up to one goal, back up to another and score, right? Yeah. So I, I fully admit that it's hard. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, it'll happen every match, right? But I think that people who are assuming it'll never happen are going to be unpleasantly surprised come like district champs or even mm -hmm. like some of our later district yeah, events. Carrollton yeah. could be a, a, a prime spot for it for yeah. the amount of times, uh, Upper tier teams are going to be playing with with each other in quals. We might see some more of those ranking points pop up. Yeah, and I mean, you are absolutely right about the upper tier upper tier teams. I am a little bit more excited about what like the mid to low tier teams can bring. Yeah, right. Because you don't need to build a five ball high goal shooter to be helpful in this game, right? You can yeah. just like a low dump truck, pick up off the ground, put it in there. That's exactly what we did in 2000, or 2016, yeah. is we said we don't need to go high, we're going to go low, mm -hmm. and in some of those matches, we were capable of putting in eight-plus balls by ourselves as a logo bot and take care of that capture. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's a very effective strategy. And to remind people, how did you guys do in 2016? 
Uh, we uh, won our first district event, or won our first event w win ever um, with, at the Kennesaw State event, uh, but went on to seed number two at state champs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a good year. <laughs> yeah, so definitely not a bad season. Definitely not a bad strategy. I just think, yeah. I like. I personally just think teams need to balance their expectations. Right. That yeah. it's not. It's not so hard. That you should be completely ignoring it. Yeah. Like a good, a good five point dumper. Right. It gets those five points for a full load, but it also like like you said, it go. It starts to chip away at that, uh, um, the ranking point for going through the three stages, mm -hmm. and. Like that, doing a five-point dump will probably be faster than like the majority. The dumping five balls in that logo will be faster than the majority of teams trying to shoot high, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So at, you're probably going to be outpacing and maybe even outscore some of those high goal shooters if you go yeah. low like that. Yeah. So if we're doing the math, right? So you've done. Let's say you do nine in autonomous, which is once again not super likely in qualifications of districts. Um, Maybe you get three cycles out of like a low goal dumper, which I feel like is maybe a little bit on the conservative side because if they're moving quickly, they should be able to get a couple more. Mm -hmm. So then you've you know you've done nine, you've done fifteen, twenty four, right? More than halfway there. That's assuming everyone's got uh, scores in Auton. Hey, come on, <laughs> that's party time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes a couple seconds, I think. There it goes. Okay, there we gotta have like a little Roomba or robot. Well, running. we can make a robot next time. That'll just flail around in the background. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe next time we'll get a 1746 student and we will there you go. just like running around. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, question to our follow-up question to the RPs. Which RP do you think will be easier to get? I'm going to go out of your, the bounds of your question a little bit and tell you about the ranking point that will be given every single match, which is by winning the match. Oh, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So again, so yeah, obviously there's these separate RPs you can get, but I think there's a significant amount of emphasis has to be put on making sure you get the points to win the match and then start looking at these extra RP. But yeah, because those, those two every single time is going to get you quite a ways for uh, ranking points. Yeah. But, um, so what was your question then regarding the two extra ones? So just which one do you think is going to be like Happen gotten more often in our district? I think it's going to be climbing by a mile. I would have to agree. Just because 49, we talked about how it, 49 balls is it's a lot. It's not unfeasible, but like 49 balls and the color wheel, you have to get the right alliance to do it. And with the qualification schedule. That's the thing. Even if it was just 49 balls, that would be difficult enough. But you have to then take breaks at specific points in order to stop, go do this, then come back to shooting, stop, do this, and then. So it's yeah. it's a it's a complicated sequence of events that has to happen for that RP. Exactly. Yeah. I would I would generally agree. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the climber. But I think it's. I think it's going to be the climber, but I think teams are going to be caught off guard by how often the shooting RP actually happens. Yeah, especially like district champs. And in the Carrollton, I think we, uh, the shooting RP will definitely play a factor. Yeah, play a factor. So one thing related to the RPs that I think that I gleaned a couple of days ago that I think maybe might be interesting is that I think we can agree that both of these RPs this year are hard. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Compared to previous years where if you could do it and a majority of teams, you know, last year, if you got on to level three, you were good. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that while teams are focusing on all these RPs and stuff, I wonder if teams might be underplaying the autonomous. Because autonomous is the first tiebreaker in rankings. So if for the first, let's say for the first three or four qualifying events, you're not going to see this, any bonus RPs, right? Teams aren't going to balance because they're figuring that out. Um, you're not going to see teams hit 49 goals. I won't, you know, what do you guys think about autonomous? That, you know, are we underplaying it a little bit or do you, how do you see that going? Um, I think, yeah, I think teams should take full advantage of it. Um, obviously, you get your three balls to start with. There's a line crossing feature. Uh, so get all those points you can uh, if it's just as simple as driving. Dri so driving across the line, uh, driving across the line and dumping your three balls in the low goal for six more points. Um, shooting them up high in uh, a stretch goal for uh, some of the upper tier teams is then driving elsewhere on the field to pick up some additional game pieces. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think there's some interesting, interesting strategies that'll unfold for um, how uh, there's a comparison then to 2012 uh, that uh, at least at World Champs, I don't know if this came out earlier or not, but uh, teams using their third robot that might not be the strongest shooter that would just backfeed their conveyor into one of the robots that could definitely make their high shot. So the, the high goal shooter would shoot their three get three more fed into them by the, the other bot and make six pretty accurate shots during Auton. So yeah. some interesting strategies to unfold. Yeah, I think, I think so many teams are looking at this game as a game of volume, that we need to get to the 49, I'm just going to go for the two, and we're going to build like a three-wide shooter that's just going to dump in the, the two-point goal. But I think in Autonomous, you can maybe slow down a little bit. Because yeah. in Autonomous, that, that the inner... Port, I think it was interport. Yeah, interport. In autonomous, the interport's worth six points. So if you can deliver your three in the interport, that's eighteen, mm -hmm. right? And that's just that little extra bonus that the other team might not get. And then if you're being fed or if you go pick up more balls, this is more of a bonus, right? Well, that's where. So uh, my I'm talking to my dad recently about it. He still mentors the team I was on in high school, but. Uh, it was talking about how strategy unfolded for 2006 because it had a very similar element that once you scored, the other team got those game pieces and then could reintroduce them. So it was very heavily a game of ebbs and flows mm -hmm. that once you scored a lot, the other alliance then had a lot of ammo to come back and shoot uh, on the other side with, yeah. which is the same exact thing in this case. That, But what you have to do as best you can is make sure, make your when you're on the wave side of that cycle is you're making it count for as much as possible. Because mm -hmm. if you're only scoring balls at one point apiece and the other alliance is then taking those balls and scoring them at two and three points apiece and you're losing that volume game there, it's, you're, you're going to get behind. Yeah. yeah. So I hope teams take advantage of Autonomous. And I think, so I think like teams like 254 are really popular for, not popular, but they're notorious for going out to teams proactively, making sure everybody can match them on like autonomous so they get that extra rp um so maybe we'll see some of that this season because first did nerf the whole cheesecake game yeah so. there's some blurry lines there i think some teams yeah. will take advantage of yeah. uh we'll, i think there might be some cots assemblies um mm. that would be in that gray area <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it'll yeah it'll be interesting to yeah. see how teams work with alliance partners to make sure they're capable of 
because uh, like, uh, on your point for what those top tier teams put the effort in to do for their alliance partners during quals to ensure ranking points, is that these two ranking points are some of the most difficult that it, it's a single robot can't pull it off by themselves. Uh, I'd be amazed if a, a single robot at some point this year puts in 49 balls by themselves. But I think what, yeah. what, what like really makes like 254 and those great is that they figure out a way to make that happen, not necessarily by themselves, but to enable their partners to help really make it happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I, for one, I'm looking forward to kind of what they bring to the table because I don't really see a very clear like, oh, we're going to build this dumper that we're going to put on every robot because you can't do that, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, that'll be interesting. And maybe we'll see some like some of these strategies start playing out in missions, right? That at some of the qualifying events, you're not, you know, they're not really deep enough to say that your third robot is going to have a climber. Right? And that's probably the case for a lot of qualifying events. So how are you going to help your third robot climb might be where some of the Dark Horse alliances come out of, right? Like I can imagine a fifth seed or a sixth seed that usually has some very, very talented teams on it, right? But they just don't usually bring the firepower to overcome those top seeds, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the top seed might very well have the, like, the best shooters at the event, but if a lower seed can pick up three good climbers, that's, a lot that's of, dangerous. That's a lot of points. 75 points yeah. instantly. Yeah. And I might, that's an interesting strategy. So if you have an alliance that plays defense that's, the entire time. Yeah. Yeah? What, what were you going to say? No, no, never mind. Yeah. So if you have an alliance that plays defense the entire time and then just climbs at the end, you know, that could... Yeah, especially if you know the other alliance only has two climbers. There's a point yeah. margin you can keep your eye on. If, yeah, for sure. And yeah, if you, you gotta, hit it and get your climbs, you're good to go. you got to deny 25 points, assuming all other capabilities are matched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's move on to a little bit to talking about um, talking about specific robot features, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what do you guys feel like should be the minimum com competitive concept, right? So that's like the target robot for low to some mid-resource team? Um, I'll first uh, point out what happened last year. Uh, again, we don't know what magic happened around Albany, Georgia, but the uh, everybots that wound up popping up around that region um, for robots that were incredibly capable of scoring cargo at a, a high rate. Um, but as for this year, um, for hitting that skill set, again, my priority number one is climb, uh, just for the, the singular action and getting that many points. Uh, if you build a tall robot, you're mo already most of the way there. You don't really have to reach too much further to get up to that bar, but otherwise building off of that set of skills, uh, if, rob if you can build in a uh, low gold dumper, uh, but whatever you do, do it consistently is, is the trick. Yeah, I think, I think a low gold dumper is one of those things that really shouldn't be ignored, right? Which, yeah. I don't think a lot of teams will, but if you do it consistently, if you score 10 balls, that's 10 points, right? Mm -hmm. And if you do an autonomous, that's, that's like a point or two extra. But yeah. if you help play a significant role in getting teams to that... To that uh, ranking point? To the ranking point, but then also there is a bonus associated with it, right? It's 10 points for the first one. I think it's like 15 or 20 for the second one. So you have that 25-point climb, which is definitely there, definitely consistent, right? Mm -hmm. but, if, but, if, but if you can play a role in, in unlocking another 25, 30 points for an alliance, you know, that's, 
So it's 25 plus 25. You are helping play a part in unlocking 50 points for an alliance, right? Which, which is 50 points that they might not be able to get from anybody else. Well, so and that's another curious thing, getting back to that ebb and flow conversation for um, uh, where, where balls are at on the field. Uh, there's, a, there's also a possibility for those robots playing the low gold dumper game is that they can switch to playing a defensive role in some, in some case by getting balls only from a certain side of the field where the other alliance is normally getting them and just depositing them in a safe spot on your side where one of your higher, higher uh, scoring bots uh, can then use those balls for ammunition in your two and three point goals. Like in 2012 Einstein, you had 40D34 who played that role and uh, 16 Bomb Squad. They just went over to the other side of the field, stole balls, and put them on the, uh, their side of the field so that their partners could pick them up and score. Mm -hmm. So that would be very valuable in eliminations. Oh yeah. So I imagine this year, like, so if you have a, if you have an MCC, like that robot could like stash balls in a trench, because yeah. not only are those balls like closer to your side of the field, but they're, mm -hmm. they're also in a safe area, right? They're very difficult to be touched. Yeah. Um, that's pretty exciting. But then I can also imagine like powerhouse team kind of filling that role, right? Because like. 1771 is like notorious now, I feel like, for their defensive role, right? Mm -hmm. So I somewhat expect them to come out with a shooter, right? And I expect them to play defense at some point, right? Um, and I can fully imagine them being like a juggernaut in defense, and all they do is they pick up balls, and they just full court down the field, like with like no discretion about aiming, just like moving in full court shots, right? Just, mm -hmm. just to get the balls down there. So that could be an interesting, uh, interesting strategy. So we talked about robots looking to climb. So I think this oh, is... I want to just add like one quick thing to the MCC. Make sure your robot can drive over that bump and doesn't get beached in the middle mm. of the field. Like that is, a, that is a necessary requirement for a minimum competitive concept. You have to be able to traverse the uh, uh, bump over the middle, in, in the middle of the field. Yeah, I forget what the ground clearance is for the kit aparts chassis, but something to keep your eye on. Uh, what? But... So let's say, so we're actually about to hit on some of this. If an MCC is short, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys are from 1746, notoriously offensive powerhouse team. If you have a short robot, which fulfills all the MCC goals, but they can't do the bump, what do you think about that? Is that okay? Or do you feel like, you know, it's still kind of not, not sure about that? That's right. Again, I don't know what the ground clearance is, but I, I'm, I'm hoping there aren't... Anybody who's putting that much thought into playing that that power or a highly offensive role really has to take that in into into mind. Otherwise, that's a significant ding against them for mm -hmm. like, yeah, you can shoot a lot of shots, but if you get beached in the middle of the field, you're not doing me much good as a Lions partner. Game so. over. Yeah. 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 All, right. Um, all right. So I think so. The question that I was sort of hinting on earlier was tall versus short. So not just for the MCC robots, but for everybody. Um, where do you guys stand? I think there's an interesting balance. Um, I think uh, if you build a tall robot, you get some benefits out of being able to more re easily reach the uh, bar at the end. Mm -hmm. um, if you build a tall shooter, uh, there's some benefits to the shot profile you can get uh, from more consistently either hitting not just high goal shots, but potentially then better three-point shots. Um, it allows your uh, robot design to not be quite as constricted, so you get a bit more open space to play with. 
you got to be careful about keeping your center of gravity low so while you're driving around you're not tippy or anything. Especially going over those bumps. But yeah. Yeah, I think uh, uh, so there's a one team from Houston that's pretty popular. 118 Robonaut? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. No, uh, Spectrum. Spectrum yeah. Right? yeah. So Spectrum had this video where they took last year's robot, so kind of tall, mm -hmm. and they drove it over the bumps. And when they came off the last bump and they hit a hard stop, they just tipped, tipped. Like, like straight tipped, right? Mm -hmm. Which it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it is. But it does highlight your point. Yeah, yeah. We had a robot last year with six inch wheels, and we were geared geared pretty quick, but had some quick change of directions. We unfortunately uh, <laughs> over, yeah. went sideways. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what do you think? That's where, that's where like I I think back to 2016. Um, I know the low bar was a lot lower there, but my favorite robot from that year was 2481, the Roboteers. They won the world championship because part of it was because they went tall. And that gave him the uh, space to like package a good shooter and everything. And I just feel like going tall simplifies things a little bit, especially if you're a team that's kind of uh, low, lower resource or maybe doesn't have as much design experience. Like go tall, like that will give you the right amount of space. It'll make the climb easier, like Kellen said. Mm -hmm. And um, it might even uh, allow you to play uh, good, better defense. Because if you ha if you're tall at the max like height, you could stand in front of these some of these lower robots, these shorter robots, and play some like shot blocking defense. Yeah. So that's one possibility. And yeah, I I just think going tall makes a lot of sense. There is one caveat though um, that if you go into the middle of the field, the last thirty seconds in the middle of the field is like a no go if you're. Uh, at all, unless you're climbing, right? There's a risk of penalties, there's a risk of like uh, interrupting your alliance partners when they're trying to climb. So that's where a tall bot has like a little bit of a disadvantage. You're pretty much locked off from doing any cycles if you want to in the last 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, but a short bot, if they're not climbing or if they are confident in their climb that they can pull it off in 10 seconds, can still run some cycles under the uh, through the trench. Yeah. I. So. I also think back to 2016, but I, but but I also think about some of the robots that built over over my you know career or tenure, and I feel like the biggest challenge is always packaging. That you need to do all this stuff, you need to fit all these game pieces. How do you package that? In, right. And I think that packaging three different mechanisms, so packaging a climber that'll extend that like that much higher if you're short, packaging a way to store and maneuver five balls, packaging a shooter. Packaging a pinwheel mechanism, which may not be that difficult. I think packaging all that is a challenge that very few teams can actually achieve and be successful. Yeah. And I will say that there are no teams in Georgia that can do that. Right? Shots fired. Right? <laughs> um, well, right. Yeah. Just. It's a tough design challenge. It's mm -hmm. a tough design challenge, but, you know, I think there are, yeah, I, I would say there are. There are no teams in Georgia that can actually achieve that design challenge. Right? So I think that if you're, if you're looking to do everything, if you're looking to be a top of your team in the state of Georgia, so I'm talking you know, 1746, Walton, 4910, I think you want all the packaging space you, you're going to have. You want all the iteration space you're going to have. Right? So I, I like take the lesson from 2016 and I like hold it dear to my heart. Right? I, yeah. I think... Almost everybody, unless you're going for that MCC short, like real maneuverable thing. But even then, climbing is going to be your bread and butter. And if you're that mm -hmm. short, 
climbing is a lot harder. Climbing is a lot harder, right? And so then, then you know, you you, you want to be tall so you can definitely climb. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just this is my opinion, and I look forward to people proving me wrong. But I think un- uh, until that happens, I just think a majority majority of teams should be tall. Well, that's what you, so you don't gain expressly too much from being short. Uh, obviously, so there's driving under the color wheel, mm-hmm. but there's there's it, it's an open enough of field game that there's plenty of room to drive around. So you're you're not missing out on much by being taller than 28 inches. Um, but at the same time, 28 inches is just about twice as much as that 14 inches from 2016. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it works out. It will be interesting. I mean, yeah. So it's so it's twice as tall, but you arguably have to do more, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think about in so in 2016, the most successful robots were what like we're talking the teams that won were Walton 4910, and I think they had another alliance partner. Yeah, 4026. Yeah, 4026. Yeah, 4026. Right? Killer alliance. Yeah, yeah they were all short bots, right? Mm-hmm. They were all short bots, but none of them could climb, if I remember correctly. Correct. Right. Yeah, they just captured at the end. Yeah, and and I think forty twenty six couldn't shoot. Yeah, so forty nine ten forty nine ten and forty twenty six were playing low goal most of the game. Uh, forty nine ten would put in an oddball one pointer from a or a, a high goal from the batter. Otherwise, Walton was sitting back by the the uh, outer works for uh, popping in some catapult shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know there is there is that. So I I just think. You are asking for a whole another world of hurt if you're going short. Which I can see you guys are probably going to go short. I can, I can like, we, we I can like see it in I your eyes. Think, I don't think we know yet. Do we? Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, still in the works. Nothing nailed down yet. But uh, getting back to some of the pros and cons of it, one of my favorite part or things I would most enjoy about being short is just. Uh, letting our driver go crazy with a, a short bot that he's not at all concerned about tipping over, that he can go as fast as he wants, wherever he wants. I have a feeling your driver will still tip it over. We'll, we'll have to find out. <laughs> Casey, if you're listening. <laughs> Casey, I will buy you Dairy Queen if you tip over a short bot. Here we go. I, I'm notorious for giving out Dairy Queen. So, challenge. Challenge thrown down. Although I do remember uh, tipping happening. It was 2016, a couple of low bots got in a tussle in the state finals. <laughs> uh, 2016 was all sorts of messed up. Yeah. yeah, so tall versus short, I think very carefully consider it. I imagine a lot of teams are going to go short. And I imagine they'll have varying degrees, of success, varying degrees of success. All right, let's get into a little bit of like actual robot design, right? Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about shooting, right? Shooting's, I think, going to be this big blockbuster aspect of the show. Um, what do you guys think about shooting? How, like, how, what are some designs or recommendations that you have for teams that want to go and shoot up at those higher ports? So 2006, right, is where you had a hole in the wall and you're shooting at the hole in the wall. A lot of those shooter designs would probably be almost plug and, uh, like, copy-paste. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the diameter of the ball wasn't too, it was eight or nine inches compared to the seven inch we have now, so it's pretty darn comparable. But yeah, if you're looking for design inspiration, there's a lot of pickings for 2006. You'll get some 2009 ideas for shooting the lunacy balls, uh, 2012, 2016, that there's a lot of the, 
obviously different sizes and different types, but a lot of shooting concepts out there. For yeah. And I think one of the things that teams that are shooting are thinking about is, you know, I need like a single stream of shot, right? Mm -hmm. But if the name of the game is bandwidth and you want to get those shot, shots off very quickly, you might consider doing like a double wide shooter, right? Because somebody was saying that, that the goal, which I imagine now a lot of teams have sort of laid out, either built or they've put up on a wall and seen how big it is, the goal is actually pretty big. Yeah, right. that's where it's most comparable to 2006. Um, but yeah, a lot of the other shooting games were at much smaller targets for mm -hmm. The basketball hoop, the, yeah. the stronghold window was pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty or twenty seventeen was then a hole in the top. So yeah, a bigger, much bigger window than uh, previous games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So consider double wide, and if you're going to go for a hooded shooter, I think you know, I think a lot of teams know this, but make sure you have some sort of flywheel on there. So flywheel is just a weight on your shooter mm -hmm. that's going to help keep it going up to speed, right? Yeah. So the more weight and the more inertia you have in your shooting system, it will take longer to get up to speed, but then once you're at that speed, you're going to be able to unload much more accurately and much faster. Yeah. So one of my favorite hooded shooters, we actually have a video of this, mm -hmm. is 1771 in 2009. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so you can see here on the video, like they just unload real quick. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, 1771, especially back in the day, they had some of the best, like, like the slickest looking uh, robots. And that robot especially was, like, extremely successful on the field. So I think it's just something to look out for. That if you're going for a shooter, look at these hooded shooters. Um, and that year, they especially had a turret, which is very nice, because if you're pinned up against the wall and the trailer driving by is behind you, they just turn around, they, you know, shot. So, yeah. it might be something to consider this year for teams that have that ability, right? You don't know when you're going to line up, and maybe vision tracking might be a little easier if you have a turret. Right? Yeah. What do you guys think? I, th I think a turret would also just be, well... A turret is a lot, there's a lot of design resources that go into turrets too though, so you have to be mindful of that. Um, going from like a stationary shooter to a turret, um, is, it's not just like, it's a big step up in com complexity. Um, but that, and that's where like, I would, would want to make that decision early. I wouldn't want to uh, design a turret and then find out, alright, we don't have the capability of like pulling this off or anything like that. Because I think... A, if you were to go to a sweet spot, find a sweet spot on the field and just shoot from there, that is more effective than like having a poorly tuned turret and like spending half the match like trying to line up your shot, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or like if you don't have your vision code uh, totally down for tracking with it. So I think it's a leap. If you're confident in your program, programming capabilities to pull off a vision-assisted turret, uh, do it. But I would start with... Uh, like looking at what are some good places on the field to set up as a sweet spot and try designing for shooting from there. Yeah, it's a balance of necessity of what do I need to be able to do in this situation and complexity for not trying to do too much. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, so the hooded flywheel shooters are kind of one shooting design, right? I think another shooting design that Kellen you mentioned was sort of like the side-by-side -side shooters. So. I think the most popular one in recent memory would be 971 in 2016. Mm -hmm. right? They had 
had a thing that popped up and it shot. Mm -hmm. But the prototype we have here is actually Wave Robotics, and they're, mm -hmm. and they're firing one of this year's games. Take a look at that. Yeah. So you can see they've got, I can't tell if that's a cold, oh, it's a pneumatic wheel, uh, a couple of pneumatic wheels, and they're launching a ball through it. I think it's a couple of Colsons, actually. Colsons? Whatever, I think I teams yeah. need a prototype to figure out. Yeah, figure out what type of wheel you're using. Yeah. So that's where you can get some benefit out of that side-by-side -side setup. Um, for talking to some others, that it allows you to keep them at a bit lower or more controllable RPM, um, but still impart as much force on the on the energy, and your what are the energy particle uh, as it, as it goes through, um, instead of a single uh, hooded shooter um, that you have to then impart all that energy via one single shooting wheel instead of being able to do it through two. Yeah. One of the concerns I have, and I haven't really worked with one of these shooters before, is. Is a side-by-side -side shooter really conducive to shooting volume, like like moving like five balls through it quickly? Right? Would it slow down too much? Well, and I think if you can, if it's at a more controllable RPM range, I imagine it would be more consistent for maintaining speed. But I guess it all depends on your setup for how much compression you're running. Um, yeah, the more compression you're going to run, the slow, the more of a ding you're going to get for that RPM every time the ball goes through. One thing to be mindful of for like a side-by-side -side shooter versus like a top-down like hooded shooter like that, um, the spin, the type of spin. So like a shooter that's like a typical hooded shooter where you have your wheel here and the hood here and it's shooting like that and that sort of arc, um, you have like some sort of backspin that kind of if it hits the top of the goal, it's going to shoot uh, down into the goal, mm -hmm. right? But with a side-by-side -side shooter, you'll almost get like a sideways kind of arc, which could be useful if you're trying to hit that three-point goal. <laughs> Curve the shot. Yeah, just yeah. curve the shot from a weird angle. Yeah. Getting full wanted here. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are just a couple of shooter ideas, right? Um, you have your hooded shooters and the side-by-side -side shooters. I think both both designs are very common in FRC, right? So a student or a mentor who has maybe joined in the past couple of years might not be as familiar with them. I just think I think the biggest thing is you have to test it. You have to test it in your shop and you have to beat it into the ground. Because mm -hmm. I see it all the times when teams bring their shooters out on the field. They've never run it before, really. That's the first time they're running a robot. And they have no controls, no nothing, and the shooter just absolutely does not work. You have to, you have to be really rigorous in prototyping and find out what works for you. Mm -hmm. That would be mm -hmm. my, my five cents on that. Yeah. Okay. So... Pinwheel, color wheel, whatever, control panel. Um, kind of a weird like side quest in this game. Yeah. But um, side quest is a good uh, descriptor for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so weird side quest in this game. And I think one of the keys is that when you go to do the rotational challenge for the so after the first twenty nine, you, you you can go and rotate it mm -hmm. and get ten bonus points. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of teams might not pick up on immediately is that you can't rotate it more than five times. And if you do that, the count will reset. So right. I can imagine like, if, like one of the teams is getting up there and going ham on it. And they're like, oh, why didn't we get the points? Right? Yeah, make sure that you are, if you're doing that, you're counting your rotations because you don't want to just hit that and go back to zero and just have to waste like, and if you have to spin it at a pretty slow rate, right? 60 RPM is like the supposed limit. 
-hmm. Think about it. That's like limiting you to one rotation per second. So if you go past that five or uh, five rotations range, you've already wasted five seconds of mm -hmm. a match. Yeah. So this video that we have is actually of one of the Robot in Three Days teams, and they actually put together. The mechanism is very simple, like all things told. But what they do is they use the color sensor, which, by the way, is provided in the kit of parts, right? Mm -hmm. They use the color sensor to count to count the transitions between the colors, right? And essentially turn the color sensor into a into a tachometer, mm -hmm. right? And so just that like simple packaging, the simple setup, they're able to use that to do both the rotational challenge and the color challenge. Mm -hmm. So, and I think one of the debates we were having is how to come at the pinwheel, right? And I think we were having a small discussion before, and like everybody literally said a different direction. Right? Just yeah. Some people were like, "I want to come at it from the bottom because then I don't have to do much, much like lifting." Um, I would, you know, my personal preference is coming at it from the top. And then I think somebody said, "You want to come at it from like straight on." Um, what are your thoughts? How do you guys feel about that? Uh, the top of it's obviously the biggest exposed surface. So yeah. if you're already building tall, that's that's the easiest way to go, but just make sure you're not adding too much structure that high up on your robot that it's going to affect uh, your center of gravity a lot. But uh, yeah, again, easiest place to get it's on top. Yeah, and that's where like the RI3D first capital RI3D already has like a good little prototype uh, put together. So you can just work off of that and go from it from the top and uh, just spend some time iterating that. Whereas if you like try and go from the side, you're going to have to work out the geometry so that you approach it at the right angle. And I'm not sure how you do that at the, from the bottom because only certain parts of it are exposed, right? Yeah, it's a very narrow window if you're yeah. planning on going at it from underneath. So yeah. it's a very narrow window, and I think depending on how you look at it, you have to look through plexiglass to look at the color, mm -hmm. which, depending on how you arrange the sensor, might not get as good of a reading, right? Yeah. Especially if after a couple of matches, you have robots that are going through, you have other robots that have come and hit it. Now the plexiglass is kind of scratched up. Right? Yeah, that could affect the visibility yeah. uh, of being able to see the colors through that plexiglass. Yeah. Definitely worth testing in your shop before you get to an event. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't say. Um, Scuff up your plexiglass and see if it still works. Yeah. All right, and the last thing is climbing, right? Um, climbing, very important, and a lot of points. So. Any designs or recommendations you guys have for the climbing game? I think your most comparable ones are going to be like 2018 or 2016, just for that standstill bar. This is a bit bigger target, um, depending on where you're hanging. Um, but yeah, otherwise, again, if you're tall, it's not too much of an extension to reach up that you're just looking at a single actuator for driving it up and down. You're going to have to make sure it's uh, sturdy enough to be able to pull up the weight of your robot. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully teams can work that out with a single actuator yeah. and for just a, a, a hook reaching up. Another thing to consider with that, though, is that once, once it does start moving, you don't really want your robot swaying back and forth at all. So if you can work out like a two-hook setup, that once you're hooked on, that your, your weight kind of moves with it, I think that's going to help, help your balancing efforts uh, once it comes to getting two robots up there. And I feel like you want to climb closer to the center as possible. Um, just like that's how physics works, right? If you are farther away from your um, point of rotation, the less mass it takes to disrupt it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I think that might be backwards, but let's not get into that. 
So, well, if you're the further away from the center point of rotation, like you don't have to apply as much force to. Uh, you're not ac wrong, accomplish the same effect. Yeah. There's like. So he's I, saying a small, yeah, yeah. small amount of weight is going to have a big, a more substantial impact than it would closer in. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Kind of. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things is that I think teams might, teams who are balancing by themselves need to keep in mind. Sorry, teams that are climbing by themselves need to keep in mind that they can still get the balance points, right? Yeah. Because, you, because in order to balance, you need to have between one and three robots inclusive. And so I can imagine maybe a few teams that are climbing by themselves, maybe they're in a rush, they just hook on and go up and they don't get the balance point. But that's 15 free points, essentially, climb in the middle. So no reason not to. How many PCH robots do you think are going to try bringing another robot up with them? Ooh. Doing like a buddy climb like you would have seen in 2018 for two robots going up together? I think, so I think one of the limiting factors is the fact that you can't go more than 12 inches outside. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, 2018 you could go pretty darn far yeah, compared could, to that the 12 inches we got now. You could go as much as you want. So you have the 12 inches, and I think the mechanism that you need to build to do it that way is pretty intense. Um, so I guess I'll rephrase it. Do you think it'll happen? Do you think any Georgia team will pull it off this season? No. I think teams will, some teams will attempt at their first district event and find out that it's not all that uh, do or find that it's a lot harder than they make it out to be, and then they'll scrap it. Yeah. Because, so if you're thinking about this, you know, the, like, secret sauce is the 148, you know, Robot Wrangler from 2018, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So 148 essentially had this claw that would go out and, like, grab a robot and pick, and pick it up, right? And, like... That thing was packaged pretty, pretty tightly that it could work in this year's game, right? Mm -hmm. I, think, I, I think a lot of teams don't understand the details behind it. I think a lot of teams don't understand the work that went in at the event with each robot to make sure that that, that that robot had everything to make sure that it could go into, that, into the robo, robot wrangler. And again, there's a little gray area, too, because they had the cheesecake Velcro strap on all their partners that year, which this year would not be legal. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. So there's, uh, I don't know if there's, there's some workarounds to that, uh, depending on uh, if, yeah, but if like, it's a COTS part or not. But. Like, who doesn't have Velcro? You, gotta, you, gotta, you just give the team the design and have them fabricate themselves, right? I thought, I thought you can't design you can't it for design them. For them. Oh. But, but, but. But I feel like, you know, put the strap of Velcro here. That seems, seems okay, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to get, a, we'll have to get a, a ref ruling on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so climbing, I think one aspect of climbing that teams need to be careful about is um, sliding on the pole. Right? So obviously when you clip on on one end, the thing's going to slide a little bit, right? Yeah. And if you have a partner coming, um, you know, you don't want to have a partner come and then you slide off to the other end, you know. And in the Robot in Three Days video that where, where they were climbing, all they had to do was, I think, put some, like, grip tape on their climber, and they were able to stay where they were, right? Um, I can imagine there'll be more than one robot that just gets up, and they get up on the middle of, the, of like, their side, and they climb, and they go down, right? Yeah. Um, vice versa, I can imagine, like, a really light robot gets... 
gets goes down. <laughs> and, like you guys come along and you get on the other side and, whoop, and they fly down this way. So that could be that could be interesting. Another yeah. tip for climbing again, getting back to the the weight argument. But if you're climbing with somebody else and you're close enough in weight, you're gonna get a a better. There's a bigger margin of error if you're both climbing as as towards the center as possible instead of climbing on each each end of the thing, sir. But just something to think about. I also think that teams need to be careful about constructing their climbers to be able to get at those various heights, mm -hmm. right? Because you can do it for the middle. Well, no, it kind of like swings, right? So it's so there's like not even like a middle that's it's like a stationary height. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm a little concerned of all these teams that have, you know, just like a, just like a stationary jig that they use for climbing. Mm -hmm. And when they get to an event, and they might not be the first robot on there, and then all of a sudden they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully that's something that teams keep in mind as well. Oh, yeah, definitely some coordination with Alliance partners to both get your hooks up and ready to go and say one, two, three before you go. But, yeah, just yeah. make sure both teams are hooked on before one pulls it one way or the other. Or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, any other comments or recommendations for teams building their robots? Um, Just generally? Uh, whatever you're doing, again, do it consistently. <laughs> so, make sure your drivetrain works every single time. If you're looking at point scoring objectives, figure out what you can do every single match. Yeah. And I would say consistency is important, but I think some. Mm -hmm. Some measure of speed is also. Important. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, if all you do is one one point dump, um, you might be extremely consistent, but you are not very efficient. Yeah. Well, efficient? Huh. You're not very fast. Bottom mm -hmm. line. Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, and to tag along with that, you want to iterate quickly and iterate often. So like, maybe you can only dump one ball at a time, or like maybe it's really short or it takes you a long time to dump that one dump a uh, few balls, right? So don't just be okay with that. Try and improve that and uh, try and like look at what other teams are doing. Look at these robot in three days. Try and find some ideas on how you can improve your design and keep iterating. That's the name of the game is to iterate. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with a little bit of remaining time we have left, I do want to talk about the big change for this season mm -hmm. is no bag, right? So typically in about mid to late February, teams would... You know, back in the day, we used to crate it up. Kellen, do you remember? Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Were yeah, you... I was around for crating. Were you one of the crate kids? <laughs> no. Oh, man. The mean potential, like, only crate kids will understand. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so back in the day, we actually didn't bag our robots. Like, like stop build was extremely, like, It was a hard Hard, deadline. because you had to have your robot packed up, and I think it also had to be shipped. Yeah, so like, you had to put it in the crate and you had to ship it that same day. FedEx would come and pick it up. Yeah, and so that was uh, that was a pretty difficult thing. And so like I was pretty excited when we went to bag day because then you didn't have to build a crate, you didn't have to do all the extra work. Mm -hmm. um, now there's no no stop build at all, right? So, you know, tips and tricks for teams, right? And along with that, what are some of your expectations? What do you think will be different this year now that we don't have a Build day. Uh, like Anupam was just saying, I think iteration will be exciting to watch. Um, in the past, you kind of have your eyes on certain robots to know that, oh, they have a practice robot, they're going to be working on some changes for the next event uh, to add on this capability or get better at this. 
but now teams that don't have a practice robot have that same capability, and I'm excited to see what those teams are able to do between events. Uh, events. Yeah. yeah. Um, I am, I'm a little concerned that I think in the long run, so talking like district championship long, I think teams will be better. Yeah. But I think in the short run, so talking like Gainesville short, I think teams will be maybe worse. Which is hard to say because at Gainesville, like half the teams are usually building the robot anyways. So it's, so it's like, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's not like things are dramatically amazing right now, anyways. Yeah. But you know, I think that work tends to expand to fill the time allotted. Yeah. And I think the same teams that have a rough mechanism, a rough build going into bag day, and then they have two weeks to kind of like recover and refine. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, that gets pushed back to Gainesville, right? They're going to have yeah. a rough mechanism, rough robot going into Gainesville, and then they're going to have to play with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, schedule, yeah, schedule your season. Uh, if you need to set a false bag day or a false finish date, uh, just to make sure you're done early with time to then flesh out the rest of your robot for uh, practice driving, uh, programming time is obviously a key. But yeah, make sure you're making time for all those important yeah. uh, characteristics yeah. you bought. You want to make sure that you're not just building, like you said, a building to the lap, to the day of Gainesville. You want to set aside that time for practicing, and then. But I also think that there is a bit of an advantage, or the district system has an advantage here. And like, if you're going to Gainesville and then you go to like week five, you have like half a build season there where you have access to your robot between your two events. So even if you don't show up ready for that week one, and you but if you don't show up ready, you can still like learn a lot about your robot, about your mechanisms, and how to improve that, and then. Now that you don't have a bag, that don't have to bag it back up, you can just go back to working on it, improving it, and continuing to test it. You know, now that you mentioned the whole like second build season, I think about how many teams are just not physically, but just like they're not thinking about endurance, right? Mm -hmm. That so many teams, you know, they like start off at a good pace, then they burn themselves out going into week six, and then they kind of spend the build season just trying to recover from that burnout. Right, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it'll be interesting how many teams kind of do that for like competition season. That, you know, you, that this is more of a marathon now than I think it's ever been. Right. Yeah. And I think teams that get a little sloppy, that start going from like their regular build schedule, and they start adding more hours and adding more days. I think they're going to find it really hard to work between events, like you mentioned. So that's just another thing for teams to keep in mind: is you know, maintain a good pace. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the hardest time to maintain pace is the night before an event where stuff doesn't work. But I think that's when you have to have the most discipline and say, no, we're not going to work anymore. We're going to go to sleep so that yeah. tomorrow we can have an okay day. Yeah. Right? Make mm -hmm. to-do lists. Uh, keep on top of those and like pace yourself, like you said. Yeah. So I don't know if we've seen some of this from Georgia first, but one thing that I hope they start doing is having some maybe slightly earlier scrimmages. So... Typically, they would hold scrimmages like the weekend before stop build, right? So stop build was a Tuesday, and then Saturday and Sunday, there would be the scrimmages. Mm -hmm. And now since that's gone, I don't know what their, what their scrimmage schedule is going to be. And I think it'd be interesting if they staggered it over the three weekends leading up to Gainesville, right? And maybe move it around mm -hmm. so that I think like maybe the first weekend, the primary scrimmage is in Walton's facility, right? But then the second weekend, the primary scrimmage is down in Atlanta. Right? Mm -hmm. I think it maybe get some teams traveling a little bit, like get them, you know, used to that that 
um, that sort of regiment. And then I think it also gets teams, it's sort of like an unofficial ringing of a bell, right? Like, hey, yeah. come on, you need to start sort of like hitting yeah. the field, practicing. You know? And that could help, that could definitely help pace teams throughout build season, having kind of earlier scrimmages and having them like on a week to week basis or like every other week. And it might even be helpful to have like unofficial ones during competition weeks too, like at uh, Johnson Research or at Walton when they're not competing. That's where regardless of the scrimmage or not, just get out there and get practice. However, if you need to set up a, a bit of a field in your shop or if you need to, so, <clears throat> or if you're just going, uh, if you're the only robot there, you can still get a lot of valuable practice time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Okay, so final thoughts, closing thoughts. Anupam, go. Um, I am looking forward to seeing what our students come up with through after their prototyping, and hopefully it's not it's going to be ready by Gainesville, not being built at Gainesville. Yeah, it's, it's at this point I feel like we're already behind, but what we're only three days into this madness, <laughs> or we're on the fourth day, I guess. But it's it's, 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 it's hard to have a gauge on. Yeah, are we at, are, are we where we need to be? Are we behind? Where are we at? But yeah, it's, I'm excited for the season. I would just say my closing thought is sort of the mantra of I think what FRC has become is just know thyself, right? So if you're your medium resource team, if you've been struggling for the past couple seasons, don't think you have to go out, shoot, climb, right? If you're gonna do one thing, do it really well. If you're mm -hmm. gonna do three things mediocre, maybe think about pairing back and do one thing really well, right? Mm -hmm. I think if teams focus on doing fewer things really well, this game is going to be fantastic. E like, even in our district, maybe even starting at Gainesville, this game is going to be great. I think if teams try to do everything and they say, we have to climb, we have to high goal shoot, I think this game is going to be a bit painful to watch. Yeah. That's, that's what I hope teams take away, is just know thyself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay. And on that note, uh, I think we'll end the show. Thank you very all much. Right. See you all next show, whenever that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>